We're live on Twitter. We're live on YouTube. We're going to talk about keto carnivore, why this diet craze is beneficial for reasons that nobody talks about. Um, and it kind of ties into circadian biology, circadian health, as well as quantum health. So, yeah, I don't know where you want to start with this, Ryan. Do you want? I wrote a thread uh, a week or so ago that kind of gets into this. So maybe you could, uh, we could start there. Yeah. So let's actually let's actually start with I think what people think carnivore and keto diets do, and I don't think people are inherently wrong. But I think, like you said in your thread, you explore like this entirely other side of the story, which I never really thought about until maybe the last couple months as far as uh, things like ATP. I, I actually never thought about ATP ever during any part of my healing journey, never thought about ATP or energy or, or uh, electrons or nothing, never thought about any of that stuff. Because I think what's super focused on in the carnivore uh, community specifically, but also keto, is this idea that carbs are bad, carbs cause health problems, and remove carbs, improve health. Or we can even go a little bit further and say, plants are bad. Plants have any nutrients, any nutrients equal bad health, or excess any nutrients equal bad health, and therefore removing them make you healthy. But then we enter this conundrum that I think a lot of people find, and I have a lot of discussions about this with uh, clients or friends of mine, where if you can't handle some any nutrients, does that mean you're actually healthy? If you feel great on carnivore, but you can't handle some lectins, does that mean you're healed? Because in my thought process, that means something's still going on that maybe you haven't addressed. But I think it's really cool what we're going to talk about because I never thought about keto having the effects we're going to talk about on your mitochondria in the way that you expressed it in your thread. So let's sort of start out with an energy perspective. What makes uh, ketones or, or fat, let's just do fat. What makes fat net beneficial for ATP, which as everyone probably knows is the, what they think is the energy currency of the cell, which is another topic we could totally go into a whole thing of, but that's like the, the blatant face sort of statement. But what makes it so good for ATP? Yeah, well, it's just like in general that fats are more, they're more energy dense, right? So actually you can think of this like in a good way in terms of calories as well. Like that's why they're the most calorie dense macronutrient, but we're not here to talk about calories at all. But if you go and do the math of, you know, how many ATP are, are generated from a molecule of glucose and then a molecule of uh, fatty acid or lipid, uh, you'll produce on average, a lot higher amount of ATP from a fatty acid. And that's due to the molecular structure of uh, the lipid. And usually, well, what it's directly tied to is the amount of, uh, you know, carbons, the hydrocarbons in the fatty acid. So the longer, the more amount of carbons, so you get into like the, the longer chain saturated, I guess I'm using saturated fats as an example here, fatty acids, the more ATP is going to be generated from that and and they just store more energy in their bonds uh and that is why it's a more energy dense food uh overall but even when you take into account molecular weight it's still producing more atp on average and that's something that yeah it's it's important i think it also has to do with how it's broken down 
um, in the mitochondria, like glucose has to be converted to pyruvate before it goes through the, the TCA cycle, uh, whereas fats are going right into acetyl-CoA and, and kind of skipping a couple of the steps that glucose goes through. And then what we can get into as well is how that affects the amount of NADH and FADH2 that's produced, which are kind of the, they're the electron donors. They're the energy carriers into the mitochondrial electron transport chain. And that's important because the FADH2 to NADH ratio is actually kind of like a signaling molecule for how the mitochondria is going to function at a high level, which is an important context for like seasonality and carbohydrate availability and, and things like that. But overall, fats are more energy dense. Um, they'll produce more ATP per molecular weight. Um, and the longer chain, so stearic acid, we get into you know the 1820 carbon chain saturated fatty acids. They're going to produce more ATP than short chain, medium chain fatty acids. So like medium chain triglycerides, for example, like lauric acid, caprylic acid, things like that. They're they're in the lower amount of carbon per fatty acid. So mm. you wouldn't get as much ATP from those. But the most common saturated fatty acids in the diet are palmitic and stearic acid, which are, I believe, 16 and 18 carbons um, or 14 and 16, I don't remember. Um, so in general, you're going to produce more ATP from fat. It's a more energy-dense food, and it's something that your mitochondria is kind of like built to thrive on. And But it does cause you know, some hormetic adaptations. So we can, we can get into that. But overall, it's a more energy-dense food. Um, so I think this keto carnivore diets inherently – you're not just eating all fat, right? But you're yeah. eating more fat than the standard American diet or the American recommended diet, which is actually low fat and yeah. higher carbohydrates. So that's something that's interesting to me. That's not even like the most important part. I kind of just included that because people thought you know, maybe people think this is like fascinating. Um, but really, to me, what's important is kind of how in line it is with where you live and, and the seasons as yeah. we know. Yeah. And I, I definitely, we're going to talk about some of the seasonality stuff too, because like you've seen in the community, you even mentioned it on your thread with like Paul Saladino and stuff. And we'll get into that actually in a little bit, but I think the natural like question that sort of comes from like, after that is like, okay, you find out like, okay, fat is like, you know, generally speaking more, you're going to make more energy with, with fat. So why not just do that all the time? Like, why not just be keto all the time? You know what I mean? And then you have people that say, oh, you shouldn't be keto all the time. You should be flexing in and out of keto. So like, why, why do you find that to be sort of important? Like that comes, that comes to me to be a little bit around seasonality. So we can kind of get into that a little bit if you want. Um, just trying to not jump around too much. But I, I find that fascinating uh, myself because I, I found that it's all context dependent. Because I, I do pretty well on fat, but I also now, I mean, I maybe never did not bad on carbs. I can't really remember at this point, but um, I did basically just fat. Like I was in ketosis like for well over a year and I felt really good. And then at some point I was just like, oh, maybe I don't need to do this like all the time. And I just didn't. And I still felt good. So I never really tested it very thoroughly as far as like, did I notice a huge uh, difference? But I do think that there is um, some seasonality in that. And, and depending on where you're at, 
in latitude sort of what you can get away with and what may be more beneficial uh, with you. I actually wanted to ask you this because you're in Wyoming and you were here in Salt Lake last year and we were talking about how you went a little heavier on carbs over the winter and you said you were feeling a little less optimal. Is that what you were telling me like a couple of months ago? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess with everything that you just said, it definitely depends on context. It depends where you are. It depends what your haplotype is because it depends on your mitochondria, right? Like if your mitochondria are very tightly coupled, then you're going to be fine and probably do better like with more carbohydrate. But if they're loosely coupled, you probably do better with fats. And depending on that light environment that you're in, if it's summer or winter, that'll dictate that but yeah for me last winter i like really dug into cold adaptation and i was the most cold adapted that i've ever been but at the same time i was eating probably more carbs than i should have like i was keeping it local and and just doing like berries and honey but i kind of i just noticed like my physique was definitely kind of it just felt weird like it didn't feel right like after a while it's like okay i think looking back that I just didn't feel as great. It wasn't that noticeable in the day to day. It was like physically how everything was going, but I, it was hard because I was skiing so much. Like I was very active. So that's where it, it yeah. got to get challenging. And I still think it was fine. Like, I think it was fine eating some carbs in the winter. If you're like extremely, extremely active, but I think it went against kind of the other force of like being really cold adapted that I was, I was doing. So, like prime winter when it's literally freezing cold out and snowing a lot which it was last winter is when we should be in ketosis you know that's indicative of the environment right like nothing is growing when there's a foot of snow on the ground like where would you get these carbohydrates from like yeah i guess you could have like saved honey but no one's saving foods like go look at the hadza like you think they're saving honey like yeah honey can last through the winter but they're not saving it it's not and the hadza aren't indicative either because you know they're in africa not utah so it's just a totally different environment um in general so I'm excited this winter to really dive into ketosis, dive into cold adaptation and come like January, February, I think it's going to be really cool to see how it goes. And, and we're already talking about, you know, we're going to do a little bit of blood work right now, mm -hmm. like summer, and then we're going to do some blood work in peak winter. But going back to the fat thing, yeah, I think the ATP story is cool, but it goes way beyond that um in general but what the most important thing is and what i said to brian sanders this morning or yeah, or, yeah i think it was this morning is that meat meat is always in season right mm -hmm. so this is mm -hmm. why like carnivore you could argue is universally like aligned with a circadian diet at the baseline or mm -hmm. animal based is because meat is always in season like that was the one food that we would always be going after is is animal foods is is hunting and in the winter in Wyoming, yeah, I mean, folks can still go after bison and elk and deer, like they're moose, they're around. So to me, that's like the biggest baseline thing that's like, wow, okay, that's like in alignment with circadian biology is that if you only eat meat, yeah, you're not ever kind of breaking that rule, I guess, of eating seasonally out of context. Yeah, and there are plenty of people 
that can do it, it seems like, but I feel like they're also missing like part of the story. And that's sort of like what we were talking about with latitude and seasonality and stuff like that. And I've always found like to be like, if you, if you can do that and you feel great and you're just doing it that way, like go for it. But you know, I like to eat carbs. So if I can eat seasonally and local stuff that's like in my area during the summer, then I'm going to do it. And I feel like pretty darn good, especially if you're out and about and pretty active. Like you don't have to go crazy. And if think about it this way too, is like the access to carbs still is lower than than standard American diet, generally speaking. Because I like I've gone like I've never really foraged per se, but I've never really found like tons and tons of stuff out there. And if they are, they're often like berries. Um, they're pretty small. Depends where you're at. I mean, I'm, I'm in a mountain like desert region. So when they grow, they kind of grow pretty small based on rainfall, but there's just a lot of nuance to it. But what I really thought was interesting too, minus that car horn in the background, so much, so fun. But no, actually what I really found interesting about your thread, uh, probably my favorite part was this second section about metabolic water, because this is only something that we, I mean, you've been diving into it longer than I have, but I've only been reading about it like pretty recently. And I found it to be super fascinating that you can make, generally speaking, more metabolic water uh, while on... Actually, you talk about this a little bit in your uh, travel guide, which I'll sort of like throw a, throw a shout out to there. But tell me, like, why, why is it important that we, we make more metabolic water? We can kind of tie in some uh, light with this, too, because um, morning sunlight's great for making metabolic water. Yeah, and, and just like going off what you said first on the carbs, it's like, yeah... And I kind of wrote about this too, is I don't think we'd be eating more than like a hundred grams of carbs a day anyway. Like the It'd carbs that just exist in the wild, they're just, yeah, if you, you do get lucky and you find like a stash of honey, you know, go ham. But like the berries are tiny, like up here, yeah, like the berries are tiny. Like a lot of these things just weren't growing in this area. So I think you even need to be mindful of that. And, and I've been thinking more about that recently as well but it's it's kind of unavoidable that you're just going to inherit like if you do consume carbs you're inherently going to consume more than ancestrally consistent amounts yeah uh, i think as long as you offset that with you know some exercise some movement it's it's fine um you know carbs are not bad inherently um they're just bad out of context and if they're you know you're not yeah active at all but it's just something to consider right like you're not getting those numbers that fat juicy peach and bread and potatoes and these giant strawberries like they didn't exist no. like a hundred years ago so well, it's, it this it's way. something to keep in mind i would say but yeah. if you are at the tropics you know and the fruit is abundant like it's a totally different story i'm just talking about kind of like where we are yeah. and then it's like you're in this extremely high uv light environment you're in this high heat environment too and yeah, you can kind of get that tightly coupled mitochondria. So what tightly coupled means is just more efficient. Mm -hmm. So your mitochondria are more efficient and thus they're producing less heat um, as a byproduct. So you get an uncoupling in the winter. So it's like tightly coupled is aligned with summer metabolism, is aligned with carbohydrate intake. You can get away with carbohydrate intake because your mitochondria are very efficient. Um, yeah. Uh, winter metabolism is uncoupling more heat produced and less carbohydrate intake. And something that's fascinating that 
um, I was talking about on Twitter today is that because of this, those who have tightly coupled mitochondria, which is African-Americans, uh, haplotypes that are near the equator, haplotype meaning mitochondrial um, genetic grouping, mm-hmm. and they cannot, they do worse with overconsumption of calories um, than loosely coupled mitochondrial haplotypes. And that makes sense because they have like a very high efficient, it's like a Ferrari engine in there. It's like high input, high output. You know, they're obtaining all this light energy. Um, their melanin backs through the roof. Yeah. And yeah, they, they have a very tightly regulated tolerance to amount of food that they eat. And that's something that is fascinating because then you put these folks in, you know, an ancestrally inconsistent lifestyle and yeah, they just fall apart. So for us, it's like, why, why may that be the case? Well, cause we may need to fatten up for winter so we can actually do better with uh, an overconsumption of calories. Let me tell you, like, I've been trying, I've been trying, Tristan, <laughs> trying to get fat. It's really hard. So, so that's a, a fun nuance, but. And we actually um, talked about that with uh, Arturo, uh, Dr. Arturo Herrera a little bit. That's like a really interesting conversation that's coming out in a couple, in a week or so. So look forward to that one because that was, that was pretty wild because I didn't know that about like the, at all about the difference between. Well, maybe between, we could talk about it right now. Yeah, let's the, do it. The, the variants of mitochondria. So like the variants of mitochondria count could be as high as 83%. 83% is crazy. From someone who's very loosely coupled you know, Northern haplotype to someone who is like L1 haplotype, African descent, very tightly coupled. 83% difference in mitochondria count. That's insane. Why is that? Because, well, Dr. Herrera says it's because they have melanin. They have way more melanin, so they can produce way more energy from melanin, uh, but also because they don't need that many mitochondria to generate like that heat to keep them warm. So Mm -hmm. it's like this fascinating dance that that nature has done, uh, you know, biological evolution whatever the hell you want to call it um over the past eons and just remember that's where we started and then we ventured outwards and onwards and we kind of adapted mitochondria adapted from there so it's something to really consider and for me it's like yeah we can actually get away with more like as fair skin folk from yeah maybe more loosely coupled haplotypes we can get away with more we can you know absorb tons of energy from the sun because we have you know less melanin and we can kind of have this flexibility whereas if you do have dark skin tone and african haplotype descent like you need to be in the sun all the time yeah um and, and you that's... can't you can, like you just need to be in the right environment but then they can get away with eating way more carbohydrates and then they have that super high output power from all mm-hmm. the melanin they have. So it's kind of like it's a, a trade-off a trade-off of evolution. And it's it, is, cool. it just really makes you think because you think about these pockets of where people have settled and you have large African-American communities in like northern in Michigan and in New York and also the South, but like you have them in these Northern climates. And then you also have like this, this dis- disparity of health. And it's not just, I mean, obviously the food, a lot of people eat crap. I've seen it all the time. Whenever I go back to visit family in Lansing, Michigan, but there's like this other, other component of like in Michigan, for example, you get no sun all winter for most of it. It's crap. Everyone's vitamin D is in the hole. 
no matter how fair skinned or dark skinned you are. And so this just goes to show while people like always are sort of looking for a cookie cutter answer to something that there's always nuance to it. And you really, you really got to take a seat back and think about, okay, what is my position? Like what's my haplotype? And it, it doesn't have to be complex. Like it is complex, but you just got to think about your environment and like your background. And honestly, I think it's pretty simple because like me, definitely like Northern European background. Sorry, my, I have a little cold going on. So my throat's a little rusty, <clears throat> but uh, Northern European, um, I'm in like a eh, decently higher latitude, but still it's like, I'm, I'm going based on the environment I'm in right now. And so if people always ask you like, okay, what am I supposed to eat? Well, what's growing around you? What's at the farmer's market? Like stuff like that. Um, even there, you kind of got to be careful because sometimes, you know, you see apples in weird times of the season that, you know, aren't growing, but still, it's like, you just, you just got to pay attention to your surroundings a little bit. It's all about being cognizant. It doesn't have to be super difficult. I think we make it more difficult by uh, going online and trying to find all these answers all the time, but trying to keep it a little bit simple for you guys. Yeah. It's just something to consider, right? Like it's not racist. It's not like, no. Oh, you have to like do this certain thing. It, it's just like what makes sense. Right. Like, and you can't argue with mitochondrial genetics. You can't argue with the environment that you're living in. Like this is a fact and you need to take a look at yourself and say, am I in the right environment for what my body is capable of, of doing? Because that's health and some people can get away with it, but really, it, and, and it's kind of this touchy subject, but I would say for sure, think about it more often because this is it. This is mitochondrial function is, is probably the most important thing for health and, and you could tie in melanin with that and just the biological like semiconduction that's going on and that kind of leads us to water right like you yep. talk about metabolic water fat produces twice the amount of metabolic water per 100 grams and again it's due to that higher ratio of like carbon hydrogen bonds just more energy stored in the bonds um, and that's really important because metabolic water biological water whatever you want to call it has kind of been it was kicked to the wayside from like traditional biological teachings for such a long time mm -hmm. and only now has water become a little bit more interesting but in reality there's been people studying it for at least the past three decades and i would go out of limb and say it's probably the most important thing in our biology like, Can we talk about just like a little bit about how this isn't just like the same water as like I'm drinking right here? Yeah. Because yeah, I think that's I mean, a bit of a misconception. I mean, some people listening probably have heard of the term metabolic water and stuff like that, but it's 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 not nearly the same. And we're going to get into things like deuterium in a minute, but still, uh, we kind of, I want to get into that nuance. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a bit complicated because there are, there are many different types of water. There's bulk yeah. water, there's like coherent domain water, and then there's like easy water, which has become the popular term, structured water, which is structured just another water. term. Um, so water can take in many shapes and forms, but it's, it's not in this like traditional liquid state that we think it is in the body. It's more of like a gel state. And then again, depending on coherence and depending on having that exclusion zone, which is all about you know having uh, redox potential to be able to do that, the proper charge, negative charge in your body, electrons to be able to do that, and then getting into the light, uh, both 
I think violet and infrared, red are fantastic in increasing the exclusion zone of water, which is then imperative for, you know, excluding things from the cell, like toxins. Mm. Hello, people. Yep. Um, and this, uh, well, it's just like people say this name all the time, exclusion zone, exclusion zone. Well, they don't even put two and two together that it's main purpose or, you know, a big deal is to exclude things from the cell. And, you know, only a proton, anything bigger than a proton will be excluded in the proper um, coherence of the water. But what disrupts the coherence? Uh, a lot of things, uh, toxins of like fluoride, non-native EMFs, uh, just having insufficient, you know, redox. And that's what, you know, mitochondrial function, everything is all kind of tied back to. So, that's why it's different from the water you drink. And then you can tie in deuterium. Metabolic yeah. water, a biological water, is deuterium depleted uh, at least a little bit. It depends on what you eat. And this is something I really was kind of fascinated by when I did this research is that, you know, you hear all these guys, you hear like Jack and everyone is like, oh, metabolic water is naturally deuterium depleted, blah, blah, blah. So you just think it is across the board. Well, that's not necessarily true because if you eat a high carb diet, mm -hmm. the water your mitochondria produce actually won't be that deuterium depleted at all. Actually, like a bottle of Pellegrino would have less deuterium on average than someone who's eating a high carb diet. And what does that tell you? That tells you that they have mitochondrial dysfunction because it's supposed to be deuterium depleted. And yeah, if you want to get into deuterium, is yeah, just... I'd love to. I mean, mitochondria hate deuterium, from what I understand. Um, yeah, yeah. And the other thing too on the deuterium thing is, I can't remember who said it, but I was listening to somebody. I, I probably would need to double check this to make sure, but they were talking about deuterium being higher as you go towards the equator in 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 water or food or something like that, or along coastal areas. Some yes. something was someone was talking about how getting even organic food from like say Florida or California shipped in will probably have more deuterium than eating locally. So still eating locally may be better than yes. trying to ship things in. So maybe we can kind of get into some of that too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really important. So well deuterium, if you don't know what it is, it's heavy hydrogen. It's an isotope of hydrogen that has a neutron uh as well as the proton. So it's double the atomic weight. All of your mitochondrial machinery, complex one, complex three, four, and five, which is the ATP synthase, they're proton pumps or the ATP synthase is like a nanomotor. So they're designed to pump and spin protons, which is H+. Plus. Uh, mm -hmm. If you add a neutron in there, that's twice the weight. Excuse the, the noisy Mustang driving by. <laughs> but, uh, you know, imagine you have a, a, a system an industrial processing plant, and all of a sudden you have all this automated machinery, and all of a sudden the product that's going on the you know lines is double the weight. You know that's obviously going to cause some issues, and that is what happens with deuterium. And it's not like oh, there's no reason for this. Like deuterium does have some other functions in the body um, that are even more down the rabbit hole of like the complex quantum, but inherently excess deuterium deuterium that's higher than it should be based on the environment that you live in can cause mitochondrial dysfunction and again it depends on your haplotype how tightly coupled your mitochondria are yep. 
And that's why you live at the equator. You have very efficient, very tightly coupled mitochondria. You can get away with higher levels of deuterium. And as you go closer to the equator, as you go down to sea level and you're near the ocean, they all have higher levels of deuterium. So I think like ocean water is like 150 ppm or 155 ppm, something like that. So as you go north, um, I think like Arctic or not Arctic, Norwegian, some of this like Voss, Icelandic water mm-hmm. is spring water is like one. I mean, that's why, that's why they say to drink that water just because it's lower in deuterium. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting and then, too is when you think about it this way also, like there may be more deuterium as you move, move south or whatever, but you also have way more sun. You have way more UV all the time. So if you're getting in the sun, you're still able to like max making, you know, metabolic water for yourself um, and stuff like that. Which... Exactly, exactly. So it all comes down to the environment. What's really fascinating about deuterium is that it's actually, and I haven't dove down this rabbit hole in a while, I remember hearing it on a podcast, is that actually the amount of deuterium that exists in our, on our planet, in the water, has increased uh, over the past oh, really? like 10 million years, 50 million years, whatever, I don't know the time frame, but it has gradually gone up. So that's why there's some some of these like weird cases where water that's been trapped underground or is like 50,000 years old or like 100,000 years old actually has like far lower amounts of deuterium. So you can kind of get these like weird, um, I guess, inconsistencies in terms of the amount of deuterium. Um, but yeah, going back to the fats, yep. high carb diets produce metabolic water that is in the deuterium content range of like 150, 155. Whereas when fats are oxidized, it can be as low as 118. That yep. is a significant difference. So when it comes to deuterium, we're talking like even 2 ppm, 5 ppm is major, a major difference. And we're talking like a, a 30 plus difference from a high carb diet. What? to just fats what was the when you were doing this research what was the ratio they were determining as like high carb versus fat when you were looking up like the 150 to 155 ppm for high carb diets do you know how much like how high the carb diet was i uh, no, i don't know i'd have to pull up that paper I, i'm assuming it's kind of like a standard american diet yeah that's sort of like, i don't even know what is a high carb diet 300 grams like 400 something grams? like that because it's like 50 <laughs> to 65 percent of total calories something like that okay Okay. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's probably what it was. It's, I would just assume it's like a modern standard diet. And, and that was you... all the research done by this is, is by like Laszlo Boris and Gaber Sommelier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're both in Hungary or Eastern Europe and they, they have, they have all this research on this They and going down the foods, high carbs, why is a high carb diet, you know, have higher deuterium because plants store or they yep. push out their deuterium to their fruits yep. and their starch is like the kind of the high the glucose they push it out yep. through glucose so starches grains fruits and then fruits have high water content so whatever you know water yeah. is used to grow them and depending where they are located like you mentioned florida california so it actually would be stupid for us in utah wyoming to eat fruits like eat berries 
from Florida or eat, yeah. I mean, it's stupid for us to eat anything from Florida really. Cause it's not indicative of our environment. It's a drastic no. enough latitude change. And then California as well. And then you throw in the glyphosate that like California uses and well, yeah, now, it's just now there's stupid. Like- now there's like a peel on stuff that you don't know. And there's just yeah. like a bunch of, bunch of crap, but it also like goes back to, too, like when I'm, when I'm looking at this is like, if you embrace seasonality as well, it's like, you'll naturally go through cycles of ingesting maybe more deuterium in the summer with certain, you know, plants, plant foods. And then in the winter, as you kind of go out of it, you'll be ingesting less through winter, kind of depending on where you're at. But like, I'm just kind of looking at where I'm at in latitude. It's like, there's always this like cycle going on and when we have the problem is we've eliminated that almost completely. And so when you're doing this all year round, you're eating the same stuff all the time. Uh, and I'm talking about like carbs and stuff like that, then it becomes a mess because your body doesn't have any natural cycle while the environment all around you is constantly going through it all the time. And yep. so you're kind of fighting against this current that you can't win. So it's just a very kind of fascinating dive. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's, if your environment is going through seasonality and cyclicality, then, then you should be too. But, but tying it back, like deuterium has been shown to be like very beneficial in like cancer treatments and you can buy deuterium depleted water, but you just want to be careful, um, with it. So I would just say that, but yeah, kind of moving on back to keto carnivore and like eating high fat. Right. Um, I mentioned kind of that inducing hormesis or reorganization of the mitochondria Mm -hmm. and people actually think that that's like a bad thing. Like I was reading all these papers and I was like, this doesn't make sense that like eating fat. Well, basically what happens is eating fat, uh, upregulates complex two because there's more FADH2, which is the electron carrier to complex two. And you get higher reactive oxygen species produced, which results in reverse electron transport to complex one. And people think, oh, reactive oxygen species equals bad. Yep. That's the end of the story. Eating high fat is bad. But we know it's not. We know nutritional ketosis is very beneficial, especially in cyclicality in short periods of time. Maybe not all the time for years on years on years. Uh, you can make that argument. But anyway, um, this is true because actually this ROS, this reactive oxygen species is like a signal for the mitochondria to reform, to reorganize because it's like all of a sudden, Hey, we're getting like 50% more fatty acids in the diet. What's, you know, and 50% less carbs. So it must be fall. It must be the end of summer. You know, this abundance is over. The light cycles are changing. And we know that from the food that we're eating and from the light that's being shown on our body every day so the mitochondria adapt they're built to adapt if they're designed to be in a cyclical environment if you live at the equator obviously less adaptation but even then they go through like wet dry seasons so um well and if you don't test it like we talk about resilience a lot and like that's like that's what health is is like how resilient you are we talk about redox a lot and redox potential it's like if you never if you never push anything, you just become weak. You know what I mean? And that's what happens to like your skin when you never expose it to sun. It become it doesn't know what to do. And so you burn like crazy because you probably go out at noon once, you know, on vacation in the middle of the summer. So it's it's actually kind of good to practice some of these things. It's it's when people go uh overboard that I think is bad. That's why I always get kind of interested in like the people that we're on, say, a carnivore diet for long periods of time, like 
like Paul Saladino or somebody, and then they say, oh man, I got all these like health problems after a while, or I didn't feel very good after doing it for a long time. So now I just don't do it ever. And I just eat, you know, tons of fruit and tons of meat. Well, you know, maybe makes sense because you live in Costa Rica, but it doesn't necessarily make sense if you live like farther north like us. So you just got to kind of think in that context, I guess. It's just a lot of, a lot of context. Yeah, no, and, and that's exactly right. But at the same time, it's still good. Like you're still consistent when you're just eating meat that's locally sourced like all year round. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, but then you go and I don't know if Paul introduced fruit and carbs back into his diet before or after he went to Costa Rica, but he was living in Texas, I think, yeah. Austin, which is, you know, it's much further south. There's much more sun. There are available carbohydrates. And he's also like a southern. He's like a Mediterranean European descent. So he mm-hmm. probably has more tightly coupled mitochondria than Sean Baker does, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that he couldn't get away with eating meat like exclusively i mean he did for like years at least a couple years yeah and then he just felt better when he reintroduced like small amounts of carbs and again he's not eating like a boatload but i mean maybe he is in costa rica but that's where you can get away with that so it's always abundant down there in terms of carbohydrate accessibility but i think going back to this is you know this there's some really interesting studies and they're just like on on fruit flies or you know, worms and stuff, Mm -hmm. which take it at face value. But having this nutritional ketosis, um, this high fatty acid uh, oxidation on your mitochondria induced like a hormetic effect and actually found that this upregulation and this reverse electron transport causing the mitochondria to reform. That's cool. They No, yeah. And then actually led to an increased lifespan. So... Yeah, it's a, a hormetic stress. Um, I'm not even a huge fan of, of that because it's really, it's just what's meant to be. And you can take these isolated studies for what they are. Yeah. But the fact that our body is, is built to adapt to the environment that we're in makes you realize that everything in your surrounding environment, your light environment, your food environment, everything's a signal to your body. So just think about that and think about, how your body has been built over hundreds of years, over thousands of years to adapt to that environment. And what would have those input signals been consistently if you weren't in a modern world? And that's, you know, seasonal light changes, seasonal food availability changes, temperature changes. There's the answers lie within you. You just have it's to all around us, them. really. Just like look out your window and like go outside and you can kind of find it, it's. It, I think the more you sort of just remove yourself from from the dogma, and that's sort of like what we're trying to talk about is like like this stuff is really cool, and I think like all of this applies to like you on whatever journey you're on, but it's like it's it's going to be a little different depending on where you're at in the world and stuff like that. So it's it's still context dependent. I just find it like I I actually thought my favorite part about your thread was the the cherry and the water part. Cause I've been getting into the metabolic water stuff. Cause that's just like crazy fascinating. Um, and I didn't know that about fat that, that actually made more metabolic water. I think that's like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you think about why is that, you know, we might need more semiconduction through water in the winter, right? Because we get less energy from the sun and like, it's all about an energy. It's all energy homeostasis, right? Like you can't, 
you can't just beat nature. You can't cheat nature, no. but it's already designed in these natural mechanisms to offset the lower amount of light, the lower amount of sun. You just have to embrace that. You have to embrace low carbohydrate winters and um, lower deuterium water, for example, like getting your food locally will make that easier for you. So that's why you shouldn't eat fruit from way lower latitudes in December because then you're just confusing your body completely and you're inhibiting these adaptations from taking hold and taking place for you to push through this winter. But then also in the summer, right? Like you really need to max out the summer. You know the winter's coming. We know it's coming. What did you and I do all summer? We got the fuck outside more than I ever have. I'm so stoked to check my vitamin D levels. I think they're gonna be higher than they've ever been. That's what you know. When you know winter is coming, you can prepare for it. Um, yeah, I'm but sorry. if you neglect that, don't be upset when you have seasonal depression in February. Yeah, no, I'm actually really interested to, to look at stuff like that because we live in slightly different because I'm I mean, you were in Salt Lake for quite a long time, but you've been up there all summer. And so I've been in the city all summer. I, I've, I've never done I've actually never done a test for these things like I did it right in the kind of beginning of spring baseline stuff and I'm going to get blood work done on like next week. And so I'm super fascinated because I'm tanner than I've ever been. Like everybody that's like the first thing they'll say to me is how tan I, I'll show them my sandal tan line for my earth runners. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that translates to vitamin D because there's so many things that can also get in the way of that process. So it'll be interesting if mine is, I'm assuming it'll be decently high, but if it's lower than I expect, it's going to make me wonder, okay, what else in the process was I, what, what was buffering me to keep it lower? Cause it, cause there's, there's, there's so many stimuluses when you're in the city that can get in the way of that. And we actually talked about some of that with uh, Anthony Smith when we talk about EMF and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm curious. I mean, but and blood tests aren't everything, right? Like we're no. just doing this because think about this. There's no research on this. There is no, Hey, we got some 20 something healthy individuals, or at least like doing healthy lifestyle habits. We want to show you what seasonality cyclicality looks like and test that. So I'm going to do a microbiome testing. Uh, that's crazy, right? Because, oh, even the Hadza who live at the equator have a massive change in their microbiome from dry to wet season, which you could equate to like summer, winter, like massive change in their microbiome, like 50% drop in diversity. And then it comes right back the next, the following season. So what does that tell you? It tells you that everything in your body is indicative of the environment and that you're living in and changing around you. So I'm stoked to do it. There's no research. There's no data out there like this. And hopefully it, it can provide some, you know, information that's insightful for, for folks. But yeah, at the end of the day, embrace seasonality. Keto carnivore are, are beneficial for reasons beyond nutrients, right? Like the very nutrient dense foods, meat, yeah. animal foods. Um, but baseline, they're always in season. Um, they're easiest source locally. They produce more ATP, more metabolic water. They're more energy dense, um, lower deuterium metabolic water. Fat in general has like the lowest deuterium content yep. of anything. So if you just ate like pure fat, some of these deuterium, like I would say, this are these researchers are very crazy, and they're like, oh, if you know, you don't need to drink water, just eat a piece of fat. And actually, that's <laughs> something else to consider. 
I was reading Anthony Gustin's blog on the or Twitter thread on the Hadza again, and he mentioned that him and Paul Saladino, when they were there, like they would go on, you know, a hunt, and the the Hadza would barely drink any water. They That's had like right, yeah. no water, and like him and Paul, obviously, as you drink your water for like twentieth time today, <laughs> no, just kidding. But you yeah, know, no, we I drink way too much water, and you have to understand every time you're drinking water, especially if it's like low quality water, you're doing nothing for hydrating your cells. Really, you're just and you're increasing the deuterium content in your body. Whereas when you're a super tightly coupled Hadza hunter gatherer you don't need that much water you're getting you're producing that water because your mitochondria are so tightly coupled and yeah you're running on on all cylinders so when well, i and i think about it this way too is like for and i honestly i just there's something about whenever we film i have to like be drinking something it's the same when i like edit i gotta be like drinking it's a it's, it's probably just like a bad habit I'm probably dehydrating myself by drinking too much water but um it, something to think about too is like what I've noticed when, when I was really not feeling good, I felt dry all the time. Like I felt constantly like I could not be quenched no matter how much water I drank. And it makes me wonder like before I implemented some of these practices and like changed the way I was eating and stuff like that and focused more on like keto, stuff like that. If I was just not making any like water and I was just like screaming out for like intracellular like, hydration, it makes me wonder about these things because. I see that in people that I know that are not doing great is they're constantly guzzling down water out of plastic bottles, but they still just like are dehydrated. And so it goes to show like, obviously like we talk about dead water and all that kind of stuff, but um, it, it just makes me think after learning about these things, like maybe there's more going on. than I'm making water at all metabolically. No, that's like hundred percent it, right? Like if, if your mitochondria are dysfunctional, you're not making enough metabolic water. The metabolic water you're making is not deuterium depleted if you're eating like a processed foods diet. And then you can get into non-native EMFs and other stressors oh, yeah. that are completely disrupting the coherence of water and not getting light, no easy structure. So yeah, it's everything. Water is probably the most important thing in your body. Uh, we'll have to talk. We will talk more about that with some upcoming podcast guests as well. So stay tuned. But yeah, I think this is cool. It's fascinating, right? Like, I'm a very big fan of animal-based diets, especially because of where I live. Um, mm -hmm. It's the foundation. Like, the Native Americans, the Indians, they ate, like, 90% bison. Like, they did yeah. not eat many other things because that's what was available. You drive around Wyoming, there's not much. You're there's not nothing. growing plants here there's grass. not enough water it's like high desert and then you get into like subalpine and then you get into the the trees don't even start till eight thousand feet above sea level so i don't know what the hell you're gonna grow berries are around for about two months and all the wild berries like huckleberries are extremely small yeah the indians used to make um pemmican bars with bison bison tallow very small amount of berries and some honey and that's it that's all that really is out here and that's why they eat 90% meat. But if you live at the equator, you're African-American, you can guzzle plants. Like you are designed to thrive way more off plants and that's fine, but that's different. But if you were to eat meat, you know, meat is still a foundational component of any diet uh, ancestrally. And I would say it's always in season. So that's why we have this whole conundrum of why diet, why these diets are effective and yeah, but it's 
it's crazy because I always notice I I do notice that there are a lot of like African American like vegan influencers. Yeah, they're jacked. They're like ripped, but that's because they can be. I cannot. If I was vegan, I could not be ripped. There's no way. There's no way that would happen. Yeah, if I was vegan, I'd probably look like I do now. <laughs> but yeah, maybe I don't know if there's any questions in the chat or we could open the Twitter space. There's a few folks in here. Yeah, if we can open the Twitter space. Anyone has any questions? Um, or we could wrap it up. But I don't know if there's anything on the YouTube. I have not checked. Nothing crazy. Nah. But it's so, fun. I mean, I think about that a lot. I mean, this just like the idea of like, I, I mean, when I first got into all this stuff, I was told like, eat, eat 200 types of different plants yeah. in a year to have diversity. All right, we got, like, we got a question. Hold on. Oh, sweet. All right. I think this should work. You're just on mute if you have a question. All right. So if you if you didn't hear the question, he asked about water. Um, so we said we'd we'd table some of this discussion, but yeah, we can answer that. So yeah. yes, if distilled water, spring water, RO water is best, and yeah, kind of answers his own question, saying a spring water for sure. I would say spring water. I've completely changed, like I guess my thought around this in the past year is that spring water is like by far above and beyond anything else. I'd almost go now to the fact that it's like, if I absolutely can't get like glass spring water, I'm okay with a local water in plastic, like to bridge the gap rather than drinking like water out of a Brita and putting a pinch of salt in it. And distilled water is just like straight up dead water, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So some yeah, people argue not... that like distilled water is water in its purest form and then it like can be utilized easier in the body. Um, I don't think that makes any sense. No. Where would distilled water exist naturally um, be before we kind of invented that process? Never. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's tough. So spring water. Yeah. I, I would say if you can, you know, Mountain Valley is, is one that delivers like to your door. But again, Ryan, Ryan's drinking Mountain Valley here, but where's Mountain Valley located, Ryan? In Arkansas. It's in Arkansas. So Ryan lives in Utah. I live in Wyoming. Arkansas is further south than Utah and Wyoming. So really should be striving for a more local spring water source. There's one in Idaho, or they have ones in Idaho and Florida. It's called like Proud Source Water. I've seen more and more at like uh, Albertsons, uh, Safeways. Actually, I'll have to check it out. Um, I try and make sure. Yeah, it's in aluminum, which is probably better than plastic, but obviously less worse than glass. So I, yeah. I would just say that, yeah, local spring water is the best. And again, going back to, you know, the Hadza and their microbiome diversity, they get that because they drink water right from the environment. So if, if you're feeling you ballsy, water. if you're feeling ballsy when you're going on hikes and stuff, yeah, fill up there. It's hard to carry that stuff back to your house, but 
you know, at the end of the day, there are some good mineral supplements out there, like Quinton and mm-hmm. maybe Trace Elements. Um, yeah, Trace Elements is pretty good. Quinton's probably the highest quality. They're very like yeah. strategic on their formulation, but you you want to make sure, yeah, you have that filter set up pretty well. So again, you could argue that that stuff is okay, but yeah, natural spring water. I don't know what other brands are there in the U.S. There's one in like Sedona. There's like a couple know. local. All the ones in the Rocky Mountains. It's a shame because they're all like in plastic. Um, it is, yeah. But I, I just drink Mountain Valley because it seems trendy, and I like the I like <laughs> the green's my favorite color, and I like the I like the pageantry, and so I'm a sucker for good marketing. But so again, I I think everyone's drinking way too much water, but it's probably because they have some mitochondrial dysfunction. And oh, um, they're not not, pro- not producing in the end of non-AVMF. So it's tough. You live in this world where, you know, we're just surrounded by toxins. But, you know, challenge. See see how, how far you can push it with, like, drinking less water and, and maybe focus on improving mitochondrial function. And yeah, it might feel better. All right. Anyone else have uh, any more questions? Feel free to request the mic if so. If not, we will wrap up in a bit here i know you need to go ryan that was a good question though i like that no it's a great question we'll we'll be talking way more about water on uh future podcasts hopefully get like gerald pollock and a few other Mm -hmm. folks folks on but all right i think that's good keto carnivore you know beneficial for reasons that most people don't ever talk about and (laughs) no uh, one talks about it that's uh it's cool. I want to talk more about this, like Paul Saladino and, and Sean Baker, because it, it aligns and it aligns with what they're doing. And I think uh, it'll reiterate And Chafee. Chafee has had like Boros, Dr. Boros on his podcast to talk about mm-hmm. deuterium. So I know they're aware of it. They're all smart guys. It's just, you know, do they want to like push their whole content in that direction? Probably not. So yeah, everyone's Keep it got, simple, you know, low line. IQ marketing. That's, uh, that's what gets the masses. The way of the future. We're over here talking deep and uh yeah <laughs> to a small audience so that's what's fun awesome well thanks everyone for coming by and i'll save this in the replay for anyone that didn't miss it so that they can watch later